says that God chooses the foolish things of this world. The foolish things. The things that make people think, oh man, I wouldn't have chosen that guy. God says, I, I chose him. Think about David. Saul had all this stuff, but David, what's it say? David's a man after God's own heart. David blew it with Bathsheba. But yet, he's still one of the greatest kings that we read about in the Bible. And so many of these reasons are bound up in the unsearchable wisdom of God. God uses the life of King Saul as a great study in contrasts. Saul represents what we always go after in this world, what's flashy, tall, and handsome. We can't see past what's on the surface, so we often go for what looks good. God would draw a stark distinction between King Saul and his predecessor, King David. 1 Samuel chapter 9 shows us the importance of looking to God for his plan, for his perspective, for his purposes in our daily lives. In today's message, Pastor Mark will encourage us to rely upon God's wisdom and to stop trying to direct things ourselves. God's ways are so much better than ours. Will you trust Him today? Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 9 with today's edition of Come Alive. Take a moment and think about the next time you and and whoever you're sitting around are going to do something, or maybe you don't know what to do. Maybe you and your buddy, your boyfriend, your husband, your wife, And you just stop and say, Lord, what is it you would like for us to do? Where would you like us to go? A lot of times that happens. Anybody ever have the problem of, hey, you want to go out to eat? Yeah. Where do you want to go? I don't care. How about you? I don't care. Well, when that happens, stop and say, let's pray about where the Lord wants us to go. Because maybe he has a divine appointment for you at that place. I can tell you many times that happens in my life. The other day, I was ready to pack up and leave to go home and hang out with my family. And I prayed, I said, Lord, do you really want me to leave now? I mean, it's really quiet here. There's no employees. And, and I got this opportunity to sit and I can pray. And then all of a sudden, a phone call came through. And a brother in the Lord says, hey, I want to come by. I'm like, all right, cool. And we had a great conversation. had a good time of fellowship. And it just set my day. It was a blessing. Other than that, I'd have probably gone home and done some other stuff. And then been on a bike ride with my kids and you know, having to wrestle with them or do whatever. I mean, that would have been a blessing as well, but it was like this thing was of the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to do? So next time you're, where do you want to go? I don't know. I don't care. How about you? I don't know. I don't care. Get together, pray, and ask the Lord where he wants you to go. And then be looking for those opportunities. I heard of another guy who did that same exact thing. He and his wife were going on vacation. It's a pastor and his wife, and they were going on vacation. They didn't know where to go. And so they felt like the Lord had told them the city. And so they land in the plane and get to that city and rent their car. And they're like, all right, Lord, what hotel do we stay in? And they prayed. The Lord told them. They show up, and there's some people sitting in a hot tub right when they get there. And so this guy, knowing him, he's crazy enough. And there's, this couple was in the hot tub, and they were kind of kissing and smooching a little bit. 
And so he goes, let's go over there. And his wife's like, no, 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 I don't want to go over there. It's going to be awkward. And he goes, I don't care. Let's go over there. I feel like the Lord's telling us to go. And they hop in and they start talking to these people. These people are from a different country. But they're talking to him, have a conversation. Three hours go by. He says he's all wrinkled up and pruned up. And the people had no idea. They knew about Mormonism. They knew about Jehovah's Witnesses. They knew about being a Muslim. But they had no idea about Christianity. And so they sat up and talked to him. And the next day they saw him at breakfast in the hotel lobby. And that couple said, hey, you know, the conversation we had last night was amazing. My wife and I stayed up most of the night till 4 o'clock in the morning talking about what you guys had talked about us, talked with us about. And he goes, man, that's amazing because my wife and I were totally blown away and we did the same thing. We stayed up till about three talking about you guys, not ever hearing about Christianity. And we just right now want to know if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. They said, yeah. So they stay in touch with this guy and they actually planted a church. Lord, where do you want me to go? Just coincidence that they happen to be walking around from city to city looking for pickup truck, donkeys. And there's a seer, a man of God. And Samuel happens just to be there at that right moment. And these women point them in the right direction. Coincidence or God? See, God is the author of our decisions. Proverbs 21 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns wherever he wishes. Whoa, there you go, Mark. I'm not a king. You might be, if you're a dad in your own house, you have a throne in there. You sit on your chair you rule it, or should, maybe you're not a king. Maybe you're just a regular guy or a girl. Put your name in there. My heart is in the hand of the Lord, like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever He wishes. Can you make that your prayer? Can you make that your banner statement today? See, we see something very natural happening in a very supernatural way. We see something very natural happening. You may say, well, I I thought... God was bummed out about wanting a king. You might say that. Well, you know, last week we read, he wasn't real happy with it, but he is. So why does it appear that he hears that he's helping or directing the situation? And I would have to say, well, I agree. Uh, He is. See, God's not pro-monarchy. He's not pro-monarchy, but rather pro-merciful. Each time there's an assembly of Israel, if you look at these chapters, let's say, for example, verse 8. You see an assembly, verse 10, verses 17 through 27, and chapter 12. You'll see in those chapters, there's an assembly of Israel. The leaders gather together. The people gather together. After the assembly, there's an action section, like right now. What these action sections show is God's mercy in providing for his people. Right now, chapter 9, verses 1 through chapter 10, 16, there's a future deliverer from the Philistines. So this guy's going to deliver Israel from the Philistines. Chapter 11, bringing deliverance from Nahash through Saul. Another deliverer. And then 13 through 14, deliverance from the Philistines through Jonathan, Saul's son. So, yeah, these are very natural things that happen, but through God it becomes a supernatural way that he does things. And so we see that this takes place. It's not coincidence. It's all God. God can direct and guide your life. We just got to pull back the thing off of our ears so we can hear. Look at verse 18. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me where is the seer's house? And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place for you shall eat with me today. 
And tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. But as for your donkeys, now this has got to be freaky for anyone. He's sitting there, and the guy's like, tell me where the seer is. I'm him. You're at my house. Just go up here to this place. But I know what you're here for. You're here for the donkeys. And he's like, man, did we tell him about the donkeys? No, we didn't tell him about the donkeys. He's a seer. He's the guy from God. Of course he would know. God told him. So Saul's probably sitting there scratching his head going, whoa, that's a little weird. But as for you and your donkeys, your donkeys that were lost three days ago, and now Saul's probably thinking, man, we didn't tell, even if somebody did, we didn't tell them they lost them three days ago because we don't see that. Do not be anxious about them, for they have been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and all your father's house? And then Saul answers and said, am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of tribes of Israel and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? Now, you got to understand, this is the smallest tribe. He's being very humble, something we, we probably won't ever see at this level again from this guy's life. He's like, who am I? That's kind of like somebody go, well, who am I? I mean, do you know my family? We're not prestigious people. I mean, we're from the backwoods. We put the funk in dysfunction. So why are you talking like this to me? But though he says all these things, yet his dad's a very well-to-do guy. So yet, there's this very humble spirit. He says, you shall eat with me today. All this must have seemed amazing to Saul. He's looking for a noted prophet. And the first thing, the man, he asks, where's the prophet? He says, here I am. I'm the prophet. And then the man of God invites Saul to dinner. Finally, he hears the words of, of many, and many people fear to hear from a prophet, and that is, tomorrow I'm going to let you go. I'm going to tell you all that's in your heart. Like, oh, great, I'm probably going to die on the way home after I find my dad's donkeys. And then it says, on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you? With this, Samuel hints, gives Saul a hint of his destiny, his future destiny, all Israel desired a king, and Saul would be the answer to that desire. And you know, another thing you have to think about is like, how did Saul not know who Samuel was living in the land? He just kind of out of touch. This little tribe, way down wherever, and didn't know who, who, who Samuel was. So Israel's rejection does not paralyze God's mercy. Just because Israel rejected God, it doesn't paralyze God's mercy. We see that here. Or his love. See, God does see Israel's idolatry through the cry of a king. He knows that. And so he hears her distress here in a cry of relief. But Israel, and even our own stupidity sometimes, cannot wither God's compassion. It can't make it small. God's compassion is enormous, bigger than you and I can ever think about. And when it comes to mercy, God is very bullheaded and stubborn in this field. And the reason I say that is because you see the patience that he has, even with the Philistines for 400 years. You see the patience that he has even with his own children. See, we're not glossing over the sin. It's not cheap faith. But we need to realize that God is very merciful and patient. But there will be a time and a day when he says, enough. Enough. And so each of us has a day marked out in our lives, like we've spoken before, Everyone, one out of every one person dies. When, you don't know. So Saul understood this as implying that he was chosen to be a king. 
And he's kind of like, did I hear you right? Are you sure? Me? So why didn't you speak like this to me, was his question. This was genuinely a humble response from Saul. Even if it wasn't completely honest, Saul couldn't figure out why the prophet would say God wanted him to be king. He couldn't figure that out. So Saul's statement, and my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin, is more of an example of his modesty than his truthfulness. Saul's father and family were actually prominent, very prominent. And so Saul's humility was one reason God chose him to be king. But as he was lifted up as king, his humility left him. Again, a place of prominence. Uh, That promotion led to pride. And so why did God ever raise up Saul? Well, why does God raise one up to a place of prominence and not raise up another? Why would God allow person A to be raised up to a place of prominence and not person B? Why isn't everybody a doctor or a lawyer? Same thing. Oh, I prayed that my kids would be a doctor and a lawyer. And he just wants to dig a hole. That's all he wants to do. He just wants to dig holes with his little golden shovel. Well, man, these things may or may not be the case, but God has raised up many to prominence who were less deserving than others. When you think about it, uh, we, we talk about uh, Braun Clifford and Charles Templeton. Probably the biggest mistake we can make is to think that we can figure out all of God's moves. We can't. Oh, maybe we think we can figure it out and discuss it and reason why one person is where they're at and another person is not. But the Bible says that God chooses the foolish things of this world. The foolish things. The things that make people think, oh man, I wouldn't have chosen that guy. God says, I, I chose him. Think about David. Saul had all this stuff, but David, what's it say? He's, David's a man after God's own heart. David blew it with Bathsheba. But yet... He's still one of the greatest kings that we read about in the Bible. And so many of these reasons are bound up in the unsearchable wisdom of God. That's where I have to say, why God did this? I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. What we should never do is assume that just because God is using a man that he deserves it. Just because God uses a person, you or me, and to think, oh, well, he deserves it. He, he works hard. He studies hard. He's got nice shoes. He's got a great family. He deserves it. No, none of us deserve it. What do we deserve? The Bible tells us what we deserve because we've all fall short of the glory of God, right? And so we deserve that death, the death that Jesus Christ died. But he, God, allowed somebody to stand in our place. And this speech of Saul's is exceedingly modest. He was now becomingly humble, but who can bear elevation and prosperity? Verse 22, now Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall and had them sit in the place of honor among those who were invited. There were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion which I gave you, of which I said to you, set it apart. So the cook took up the thigh with its upper part and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, here it is, what was kept back. It was set apart for you, eat, for until this time it has been kept for you since I said... I invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. And so when they came, when they had come down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on top of the house. And he had him sit in a place of honor. In that culture, any dinner that had a, would always have a special seating protocol. 
And so the seat of honor was always on a particular side next to the host who was hosting that dinner. So it was a great honor to be seated in this place next to the prophet Samuel. It was set apart for you. Saul was also given a special portion. He says, I set this thing apart for you. And in that culture, every meal had a special portion that would be given to the one the, the host wanted to honor. And Saul especially, uh, is especially honored at this meal. And we might imagine that Samuel was very interested to see how Saul would react when he was honored in this way. And often, the way one reacts when they are honored is going to show us who that person really is. You know, you, you'll see that sometimes. I was watching a, a movie with Jess yesterday. It was, I caught the end of it. And this girl, it was like some high school thing where this girl was going to be promoted as a prom queen or thought she was, and she was practicing her reaction in the mirror. And somebody else gets, you know, the promotion. And I remember thinking about that, and I was like, wow, you know, when, when, when it's a surprise to you and, and you want it, you're kind of like, wow, and you smile. You're not like, oh, me? You know, and so that's what this girl was doing. It was just kind of funny. And so, you know, if they receive the honor humbly without regarding it too much or becoming too proud about it, it says something good about them. But, you know, if they show a false humility or a proud heart in the way they receive that honor, it shows something bad in their character. So when we choose to follow a friend or a a, a fiancé or a boyfriend or a girl, whoever you choose to follow, check check out their, their if they're humble. Check out their character. How do they react in certain situations? It's important. Verse 26. They arose early, and it was about the dawning of the day that Samuel called to Saul on top of the house, saying, Get up, that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose, and both of them went outside, he and Samuel. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And he went on, But you stand here a while, that I may announce to you the word of God. So Saul says, hey, you know what? We're going to have a Bible study. Samuel spoke with Saul on the top of the house and how we wish we could have been there to hear that conversation. I, again, it, it would have been amazing. No doubt Samuel told Saul all about Israel's desire for a king. Hey, I know you're from this little tribe. You're from way out in the country. You know, you're kind of redneck, but, you know, the people like you. You're tall, you're dark, you're handsome. They want a good-looking king, and this is what happened. So he, he breaks it down for him. And how he needed to be a good king. He probably even said, you need to be a good king. You need to do this. Anybody that hires anyone, has ever done any kind of hiring or been hired, you know they tell you the expectations of the job. And so Samuel probably told Saul this. And we can just imagine Samuel saying, look, Saul, you have a lot going for you. You, have, you, know, you got the image. You, you look great. You're a humble man. You're going to have the support of the people. But if you don't give your heart to serving God and submit to him as your king... You're never going to be a fit king for Israel. And I was reading a story about Queen Victoria. She reigned over Great Britain for 64 years. But when she was 11 years old, her governess showed her a list of the kings and the queens of England with her name added to the end. And when she understood what that meant, she burst into tears. And then she controlled herself and said solemnly, I will be good. I will be good. Here Samuel gave Saul the opportunity to say with his heart, I will be good. And so... The last thing we read says that I may announce to you the word of God. Samuel dramatically introduces the official anointing as king he's going to give to Saul. And the anointing would be with oil. So through an amazing set of circumstances, God had brought Saul to this place. Some people see God move in such remarkable ways and think, man, if God moves in such remarkable ways, I can just sit back and let God do all of it. But that's not true. 
That if God wants to reach me, he's going to arrange it. And he's going to force himself on me. God never does that. No, though God may deal in a special way with certain people, he has commanded us to seek him with all of our hearts. As Christians, we have to seek God. We have to daily seek God in our quiet times, our prayer times. Sometimes we have to daily seek God for our families. Last night, I was tired. My family was tired. It was a long day. And I remember I sat down and I was like, hey, it's time for devos. And I thought, man, I'm going to have to wrestle the kids to get them to sit and do this. And I was amazed at how easy they just like sat down. The night before when they didn't seem as tired, I was like, hey, we're going to have devos. Asa pops up, I hate devos. I'm going to bed. You know, and you're like, good. You're the one that's missing out. We're not going to force God on him. So if he wants to hang out and have devos, cool. So Samuel dramatically introduces that anointing. And so we need to be careful. Suppose now that it were known that the events of a certain battle would depend entirely on the skill of a general. The the two armies are equally balanced. Everything must depend on the tact of the commander. Would the soldiers therefore conclude that they needed not to load or fire their guns or draw a sword because everything depended on the commander? No way. Not, Not at all. The commander works and his soldiery work together with him, so it is with us. Everything depends on God, but we are his instruments. That's what Spurgeon said. He said, we can't just sit back because we have a great commander and not put bullets in our guns and go to war. Just because he's a great commander, we got to do the work. We got a great commander, a king. His name's Jesus Christ. He died for you and I. And for us to sit back and think, oh, God will do all the work. You know, Lord, I didn't know. You hear that all the time. I don't have to go out and evangelize. I don't have to preach the gospel. I don't have to do any of that stuff because God's going to pick who he wants anyway. Well, he's going to use you as an instrument. You might be that bullet that drives to that person and shares the gospel, the hope that's within you with that other person. Certain people make it look easy. And you ask them, well, how do you do it? I do it all the time. It's like practice. How does a professional football player make certain things look easy? Catching a football. Well, you've got to practice it. Just like a baby's got to practice walking. It's not easy for them the first time. But when they become six, they've been doing it a lot. It's very easy. They don't have to think about it. They just do it. And so with us. So with us. What do we look at? Are we judging man? Oh, that guy doesn't look like he needs Jesus. Are we doing the same thing that Israel does? They look upon a man and judge whether or not, hey, this is going to be a good guy or this isn't the right guy. How do we start? Are we starting well and we're going to burn out and not finish at all? And it's okay to have that rocky start. It's okay to start well. Make sure you finish. Make sure we finish. Make sure we're hearing from God. We're so glad you tuned in today to Pastor Mark's teaching here on Come Alive. Pastor Mark has been walking us through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, unlocking the blessings, truth, and love found within its verses. We know that reading God's Word can be difficult to squeeze into your schedule sometimes, so having something to listen to instead can help. With that in mind, we'd like to let you know about our Come Alive podcast. We've made Pastor Mark's messages available to you for free so that you can take them with you on the go making hearing the Word so much more convenient. Search for Come Alive on iTunes or on Google Play and subscribe to have a notification sent to you as soon as we post new editions. Thanks again for tuning in today to Come Alive. 
If you'd like to learn more about this ministry and the church behind it, please visit us online at comealiveradio.com. If you're living in or near Katy, Texas, we'd also like to invite you to come see us in person at Calvary Chapel Katy. We're a laid-back group of Jesus followers, and we love inviting new people to come join us in seeking the Father and praising His name. Find service times and directions to our church when you visit our website, comealiveradio.com. That's all we have time for today. We pray you continue to find Jesus through His Word and in everything you do. Join us next time for another in-depth look at the Bible, right here on Come Alive.